You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. As part of our Return to Work series, we're talking with Teresa Agovino, Workplace Editor for the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM. An experienced journalist, Teresa has a unique perspective on the workplace trends we're likely to see as we look beyond the pandemic, hopefully, to the year 2025. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Teresa Agavino. Thank you. Did I get your name right? Yes. I was worried about that. I started to say it and went, oh, I forgot to double check. I'm glad I got it right. I'm glad I got it right. Well, we're happy to have you on the show. Before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? I am the workplace editor for SHRM. I've been there for almost three years. And as the title suggests, I write about everything, the workplace, labor issues, diversity issues, anything and everything that has to do with the workplace. I've been a freelance journalist. I've been a foreign correspondent in Budapest. I've worked for the Associated Press and for Crane's New York Business. And pretty much over the course of my career, I've um, covered a lot of different industries. Well, that's awesome. Well, SHRM is a great resource for employers. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm a member of SHRM. Oh. I get all their updates, which are very helpful. Um, I I did see the article you wrote. So you wrote an article for SHRM that really caught my eye, uh, and it was entitled, What Will the Workplace Look Like in 2025? So before we start, I'm curious, what made you wonder about 2025? I think we were thinking about, we, we were in such a position of flux and with the pandemic and thinking out a little bit further of how it will affect us in the long term, because in the short term, it was so much more about survival. Now, um, or at the end of last year, when there was some sort of hope that things would get back to normal, it became well, what what's going to look like in the long term, let's do some long term planning, let's get out of survival mode and really think about what's been happening and how it's going to play out in the future because companies have to you know obviously plan for the future and not just deal with the present yeah i thought it was interesting because we are we are transitioning now and this is why we decided to do this return to work series to talk about the idea that we are kind of out of crisis mode mm -hmm. now we're getting back to okay well we're going to come back in some fashion What's that going to look like? But I love 2025 because that's that's a couple years, right? That's saying yeah. not just not just what do we come back in 2021, 
maybe, you know, late 2022. This is looking farther down at what the true impacts are going to be. And I think what I liked about the article was it did talk about the trends um, mm-hmm. and what we might see going forward and how that's going to impact. So what I'd like to do is sort of have you kind of talk about those major trends. I think there were six. If you got more, mm-hmm. we'll take more, depending on how much time we have, that we're going to see likely as we move towards 2025 or the horizon, the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you could just walk those through, uh, walk us mm-hmm. through and give us your thoughts and your insights. I think that would be great. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I think the biggest trend, biggest fallout we're going to see is more people working from home. Um, People, we've realized, at least for office workers or knowledge workers, companies have realized that people can work productively at home. And a lot of people enjoy working from home. They enjoy the flexibility. They enjoy not having to commute. Um, so that that's going to be a, the, the biggest impact of this pandemic. What will happen, what I think we don't know yet, is how many people will work from home and how many, um, how often they'll be at home. Because in talking to a lot of experts, it's a very small percentage of companies where people will completely work remotely or also a very small percentage of companies where people will be in the office nine to five, five days a week as they were. So I think that Within the next few years, companies are going to figure out how, what works best for them, which positions can be best done in the office, which ones you don't have to be in the office for. So who should be in? When should they be in? Should we have one day a week where everybody's in? And I think what's going to happen from that is you're going to see a lot of new jobs come out of that where, and the biggest one will be, you know, a director of remote work. Someone is going to have to manage the um, technology and the culture to keep the uh, company going. I mean, it was a big news when Facebook announced last year that they were going to hire a director of remote work. It's still a pretty rare position. But there are companies that are looking, I believe Twitter is is looking, um, I'm talking to somebody at Guilt Lab, which is a totally remote company, so they have one. So you're going to see a lot more focus on that. You're going to see the office probably change. You're going to see that people aren't coming to work. You don't need as many desks. Uh, real estate is the second largest cost of most companies with, you know, employees being the first, you know, benefits, salary, et cetera. Real estate, especially in big cities, is very expensive. So you're going to see a lot of companies cut back on their real estate costs and figure out how to use the space they have effectively or figure out, well, we don't need this, but where are we going to put people? So I think you're going to see a lot more people with um, a lot fewer people with actually a designated desk. You might just if you're only coming in one day a week, your company's probably not going to pay for you to have this empty space. So you're going to see a lot of redesign of what the offices look like. I think that's a really interesting. I, I do think it's interesting. And I do think a lot of companies, they are going to need someone. I don't know if it's going to be a director position or something, but they're going to need someone to coordinate all these things because yes. I do think, you know, everybody's trying to figure it out. And, and there's so many interesting models. Twitter's idea, like you said, 
you know, Google, we just read an article today that, you know, some of their, they're trying right. to figure out what they're going to do. And, and it is going to be different. And, and I wonder too about people who have sort of rolled the dice, the employees who've rolled the dice and left, for example, San Francisco, uh, you know, running away in New York, running away from those high prices because, oh, right. I can work from anywhere right now. And how our company's going to handle, they going to honor that and try to work in it, which I hope they do. A lot of companies, but again, it's not that many companies that are going to let you work from anywhere. It's, it's a very small percentage that are just saying, go work from anywhere. We don't care. Most, most companies are going to want you to be in the office at least one day a week. And even some of the companies that are letting people work from everywhere aren't closing their home offices because people will still go to that office. I talked to VMware a couple of weeks ago, and they're letting people work from wherever they want, but not everyone is taking advantage of the opportunity. Some people like where they live and they enjoy going into an office. So it's not like they're closing offices, although some companies have it been closing at least some offices. Um, one thing that should will probably come back uh, because of this trend is those co-working spaces, which took a huge hit yeah. during the pandemic. Because you know, if you didn't want to go to your office where you knew the people, you certainly didn't want to go to a co-working space where you <laughs> didn't know the people. But as company, just like I don't know you, I don't want to sit next to you. Uh, but as companies do rethink their real estate, they are thinking about these more. And I did speak to one company who already closed a couple of offices and said, okay, employees, we understand that you want to get together. So you can have this um, membership to this co-working space and we're going to pay for it. And you can go just by yourself or when all of you want to get together and meet, what in whatever town it is, you can use the space there, which is yeah. nice. It's, you know, it's it's nice for the the employees. It gives them the option, and it's not like oh, well, we all have to meet. Let's go find a Starbucks. You know, that's big enough for all of us, and you know where we can have a decent conversation, which is not always easy in crowded Starbucks says the woman who works at a crowded Starbucks occasionally. Well, I know it's interesting. It's like Starbucks <laughs> has become our remote. Yeah. <laughs> so well, remote I mean, office not now, but it was before the, um, <laughs> the pandemic. I have not ventured. Well, actually my Starbucks still aren't open yet for sit down guests. So, so I think you're going to see a resurgence of that industry because people don't necessarily like, they may not want to go to the office, but people also don't necessarily <laughs> want to stay home. So that that right. provides um, a good compromise for people. I just find it fascinating. I, I'm so looking forward to how companies are going to integrate all of this really interesting, all these dynamics that have come into play. Like you said, yeah. the people who want to go in the office, the people who don't really want to go in the office, the people who moved away or want a combination of the two or, you know, I just, I just think that's really, really yes. interesting. I'm well, so I think the, the other interesting thing that comes out of it too, is just manage your mindset because there is this tendency of people, if they can see you, they think that you're working harder than the people right. they can't see, even right. though that's not necessarily true. 
So managers are really going to have to be trained or really think about when they're doing reviews or handing out, you know, plum assignments that not to just give it to the people that are sitting right in front of them and realize that even though I don't see Teresa, it doesn't mean that she's not doing a good job. And a lot of management experts will tell you that they think that's going to be the hardest part of this transition. Um, Women, you know, women's groups are especially concerned because there's a feeling that moms will take advantage of this flexibility more than men and women already make less money than men and aren't promoted the way men are promoted. So there's a lot of concern that this trend can really help women at a time, uh, I'm sorry, really hurt women hurt them, yeah. at a time when they've already been severely, severely hurt by the pandemic. So, you know, in the next five years, I think you're going to have to see a lot of retraining of people and how we think about what's a good worker and who's not a good worker and measuring more by output and not just, oh, look, there's Teresa at her desk, you know, but I could be shopping, you know, on the Banana <laughs> Republic website, but yes, I am at my desk. So um, I think that's going to be a big issue going forward. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, I think a lot of companies have been surprised about productivity levels. Yes. You talk to a lot of people. Yes. By and large, productivity has been good. I mean, I'm almost too good that people are worried that rather managers are worried that the employees just don't know when to leave. Because if you're not, if you're yeah. working from home, sometimes it's just hard to put the computer away. Um, so there are there have been a lot of concerns about that and burnout and loneliness mm -hmm. and depression, especially for people that live alone and not having a lot of contact with the outside world. So that's another issue um, that they're going to have to deal with. And it's also one reason that some employ some employers are saying, yes, we are going to leave the office open because mm -hmm. not everybody does want to work from home. So we're. Mm -hmm giving you the flexibility to say, well, what works for you? And, you know, and the ones that are being flexible, they're like, but fine, if you like it, come to the office five days a week. We don't, you know, we don't care. We're, you know, the office is here. Some companies are being a little bit more stringent. You know, I talked to one company and they're like, no, no, we're not letting the employees decide that that just deals kind of leaves us open to too much inequity. So they went and hired a consultant who said, okay, and they looked at the list of jobs and they said, okay, this job can be done 100% remotely. This job cannot, this job, this person needs to be in two days a week, this person three days a week or whatever it was, because before the pandemic, it was left up to individual managers to decide right. who could work from home and who couldn't. And that did cause a lot of inequity, depending on who your manager was. So their plan is it's only going to be done, uh, you know, who, the decision is made by the job that you do. Which makes a lot of sense. Yes. I think it does. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more of Teresa's thoughts on the biggest workplace mm -hmm. trends we're likely to see as we look toward 2025. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. 
Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Teresa Agavino from SHRM about workplace trends. Looking forward to 2025. I'm loving these trends so far, so let's keep going. What else you got? I think the other trend that will continue to last a long time is this push towards diversity and inclusion. I think in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, it became apparent how inequitable the workplace really is. And I think we've been further reminded of that lately with all of the attacks on Asian Americans. And I think the companies are realizing that this is bad for society and it is bad for their businesses. And I think the issue is they're going to be doing a lot more experimentation because they do spend a lot of money on equity and inclusion. I think one of the stats was a billion dollars a year. But if you look at who controls corporate America, you can say that was not a billion dollars well spent. (laughs) You know, the C-suite is still dominated by um, white men. Yeah, I have nothing against white men, but, you know, we do need more diversity, especially there's a million surveys that show diverse companies actually perform better financially. But there is this mindset that of some people that, you know, this is how I did it. This is, you know, my path. And they tend to promote people and hire people that are very similar to them. So you're going to see a lot more people, a lot more companies invest more in, in diversity. It'll be interesting to see because they don't, a lot of programs haven't worked. So you're going to see a lot more, I think, experimentation with what is going to work, what isn't going to work. Will this program maybe is good for one group, but for some reason, another group doesn't seem to benefit from it. But I think that society at this point is just fed up with this. They're fed up with the inequity um, at so many levels. When you look at who lost their jobs during the pandemic or who's been working for minimum wage. So people, so people can still go to the supermarket or have their food delivered. It's been very, the whole pandemic has just laid bare the vast inequity. And I think if companies want good employees and they want customers to buy whatever it is that they're selling, they're really going to need to show that not only, that they're just not talking the talk, that they're walking the walk. So that's going to be a a big um, trend going forward. 
Yeah. And I, the interesting thing, I, it's true. I think the curtain really did get pulled back and I, it's, we're so behind the educational curve. And I think that's what's really driving that is that even now when you, when companies start talking about diversity and inclusion, they're saying all the things that we now uh, are learning that, you know, it doesn't work this whole day, you know, the idea of, well, you know, I have black friends, I have Jewish friends, I'm good. I, I don't right. see, you know, I don't see the world that way. Well, actually, yeah, you know, you do, but I, you know, I, but we're so behind on the educational curve, but I think, like you said, because it's, you know, it's all exposed now. And I think we're all mm -hmm. getting this idea that, okay, diversity and inclusion is not what we thought it was. No, because what happens is the companies actually do well on the diversity, at least initially, they're very good at hiring a diverse group of people what happens is the further up you go on the you know corporate food chain the less diverse it gets right. so the real problem seems to be inclusion and do people feel like they're part of the company and how can we make the um the workplace feel embrace people of different you know, genders, different ethnicities, different, you know, sexual preferences. And that's what it is. So, you know, they did, they do okay on the diversity, basically. It's the, it's the inclusion that's become a problem. And I think that was also really something they've only come to realize that they thought, oh, well, look, we're hiring all these people. Oh, we can't help it. If they leave, they get a better job. And, you know, when it's so dramatic, the fall off, it's just not that these people all just got a better job or they decided to move to wherever, that there's, this is a, system, a systematic problem here, a systemic problem, rather, that people don't feel welcome um, uh, in the places they work. So I, you're going to see a lot more work on, on that. I, I do think that's one of the things so I have a lot of, I'm a very hopeful person. I have a lot of hope for the future and especially mm -hmm. in the workplace. And one of the things I see, <clears throat> at least from a legal perspective, is I do believe that once, you know, the, the boomers are no longer the, the dominant generation in the workforce, which is happening. Millennials are going mm -hmm. to overtake that in the next generation, the next generation. But at least for things like uh, harassment, discrimination, retaliatory issues, that mindset, I think is we're going to see less of those types of issues in the workplace just because of the generation that's coming in. And I think the diversity and inclusion part of that, I think that's going to be part of that trend. At least I'm hoping that it will be just based yeah. on that generation's philosophies and the way that they, they have mm -hmm. been raised and the way they've come up in the workplace and the changes they're engendering in the workplace. You know, it's an interesting thought, and I've I've thought that too. And other people will say, "Well, you don't know what they're going to be like when they get older and they have the taste of power." That you know, <laughs> there's the jury is still out on that. Like, you know, there's a lot of pressure in some ways on white gen millennial and Gen Z men that they're supposed to be so much more politically or evolved about these issues. And maybe they will be, but there's another set of people who say, oh, when they start going up and, you know, they realize there's only one um, or two spots for people, will they still be, will they, will they keep those, um, 
uh, you know, ethics and beliefs that they had when they were younger. Because if you look at some of the baby boomers that grew up, especially the older baby boomers that grew up in the 60s, right. and you look at what happened to them, it's kind of, you know, it didn't really work out all that well. So, you know, I, I, I don't want you to not be hopeful. But I think the jury is very much still out on that. It's interesting. It is an interesting aspect. I do think, though, that the the difference is, you know, that the children of the 60s had, had very different philosophies. And I think that the generation, the millennials and, and the, the, the Gen Z, Gen Z that's coming up behind them. I know they're the tech generation. The, yeah. the true tech generation is coming. Um, I think that it's it's not quite as there's not quite as much space between societal norms and what they think. But that's just that's just me. I don't know. I'd be wrong. I think it'll be the interesting thing that you know, five, ten years from now, you'll start to see. Well, the fact that a lot of maybe these um, young men were raised by single mothers, or they right. grew up in households where both um, parents worked, and they see, you know, they're they're witnessed right. it more than older generations. They might have a very different attitude um, t- toward it, but you know, again, you just don't know when push comes to shove, how willing people are to, you know, share and give credit. So that that's, uh, and I think the companies are going to try to, you know, push that, but you know, sometimes it's very hard to uh, do that. So we'll see. We'll have you and I, we'll be back 2025. We'll have this 2025. We'll see. And, you know, and by that, we'll have a whole um, new list of, you know, more stats on, on, um, you know, who's in the C-suite in corporate America. So I think that, yes, people are very concerned about that. Um, I think the other big issue that is going to still reverberate from the pandemic is health and safety, because we are hopefully getting out of this. People can get vaccines now. We know how to uh, address this problem in terms of masking and vaccines. But a lot of experts, and again, I don't mean to be the daughter of doom, say that this will not be the last pandemic um, that we face just because of the travel, um, open borders. This is not, this is going to continue happening. So I think that it's made companies so much more aware of the health and safety of their employees and the impact that the company has on the environment. So if you just take, first of all, the design of companies, you're going to see, okay, what more companies are paying attention to things that we as maybe workers wouldn't necessarily notice in terms of just the HV system. And is the air getting circulated enough? Is is that has become so much more important to companies than it ever really was before. And now I think even employees ask about it because yeah. they're much more in tune to their safety. And what what kind of fabrics are these? Um, you know, is this going to retain germs or, or is this a germ repellent um, fabric? What kind of cleaners are you using? Are do right. these have like chemicals in them? Like it's just started a whole thought process about where I am and what effect this environment is having on me. But beyond just the physical space of the 
you know, where, where the workers do their jobs, companies are really starting to think about how they impact the environment. Because I think it's hard for most people to say that we're, we're not experiencing climate change. If you look at, you know, with the wildfires and the floods, that we are impacting this. And it's sort of all interconnected because no one really knows how the virus um, got from, you know, the bats to the people. But most people will tell you they think it's because we as humans keep infringing on the natural habitat mm-hmm. of animals. And that is, you know, probably going to keep happening. So you'll probably see more of this transference from animal diseases to humans, and we don't have their system. So we obviously can't deal with it. So I think you're going to see companies really start to spend more time, more money on becoming more sustainable. And again, talking about the younger people, that is something that is very important to younger generations in a way that it probably was not to older generations because, you know, they didn't really think, they didn't really think about it. It wasn't, you know, the environment was not an issue for people that were maybe in their 60s or their 50s now when they were growing up. Right. Especially in the workplace. Yeah. Well, these people, you know, the younger generation has grown up with the environment being a challenge. So they are looking at it more, more carefully than and more seriously than older generations. Which is a good thing. Yes, it is going to be a very good thing. Well, Teresa, we are so excited to have had you on the show. Oh, thank you. It's fun some great information. We appreciate it so much. Okay. Um, That's our show for today. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Teresa and Sherm by visiting Sherm's website at www.sherm.org. That's S-H-R-M.org. You can also connect with Teresa and find links to her article via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night and Workplace Perspectives, Team Extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Bersaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.